Hello, and welcome to Ipsa Dixit, a podcast on legal scholarship. I'm your host, Brian L. Fry, Spears Gilbert Associate Professor of Law at the University of Kentucky College of Law. My guest is Shoshana Weissman, Digital Media Manager and Communications Fellow at the R Street Institute. We will discuss her work on occupational licensing reform. So welcome to the podcast, Shoshana. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, the pleasure is all mine. As you know, I've been following you f- on uh, on Twitter for quite some time, and I, I really think you're doing really doing great work. And so it's a real pleasure to have you on on the program. Oh, thank you so much. I love your work, and I, you're you're always so good at communicating. And also, you just don't gaslight anyone on Twitter, which I really appreciate. Most people on Twitter are pretty terrible, and you're one of the few who's always pretty nice to everyone. Well, I, I do my best, you know, I do my best and I appreciate you saying so. So, um, so I was wondering if we could start by you just saying a little something about what occupational licensing is and how you got interested in it and how it relates to your work at the R Street Institute. Sure. So um, years ago, I got into licensing reform because one of my favorite people on the face of this planet, Clark Neely, who's now at Cato, um, I heard him speak at an event and he was talking about um, how there was a woman in Louisiana. Her name was Sandy Meadows. Um, He was her lawyer at the Institute for Justice, um, a public interest law firm. And um, she was uh, she was an elderly widow. She had never had to provide for herself before. So she decided to become a florist, but she couldn't pass any of the tests. And it wasn't because she was a bad florist. It was because their test didn't make any sense. So um, eventually she ended up with no job. And when she died, she was in poverty because she wasn't allowed to make a living doing the only thing she knew. Um, and now over the years, I've learned so much more about her story in particular and the whole situation. Like um, in Louisiana, the pass rate for the exam was lower than for the bar exam. And it's like, it's not because people are really bad at making flowers or doing so dangerously. It's because florists didn't want people in their industry. And stuff like that happens everywhere, whether it's hair braiders. Um, a lot of this happens in cosmetology. And even where things should be licensed, you know, nurses should be licensed, they're not allowed to do everything that they're qualified to do. And studies have shown that when they are, they do fine at it. And sometimes they do better than doctors. So there's so much potential to allow people to do more work, to make more money. Um, You know, uh, government should be protecting people's liberty, not protecting some workers against others just who want to do normal work. Um, I actually also got into the issue and found Clark because I'm a giant dork and love the Ninth Amendment and unenumerated rights and the Lochner case is about economic liberty. So I, of course, after learning like, oh, this makes perfect sense in the courts, like, let me learn about the policy side. I just kind of fell into it. And when I joined R Street two years ago, my colleague who I'd known um, on Twitter because he was a student of Randy Barnett. Um, and not like a real student, not like me who just stalks Randy a lot. Like um, we were talking and we're like, how about we start doing licensing reform and filling in the gaps of what other people aren't doing just because no one was really focused uh, holistically on national solutions. So we got in there. And since then, we've grown and done a lot of this. And it's the greatest job. They let me do whatever I want. Um, but I love this work and being able to work on it is just so much fun for me. So how does it fit more broadly into the project of the R Street Institute? And and was it was it something that you were hired to do or was it something that you sort of found and developed this particular project on your own or like a combination of the two? 
So I've been reading, learning, and tweeting and writing even about licensing reform for years. When I was at the Weekly Standard, uh, I was hired to do social media there, but they let me write. So I'm like, I just want to write about licensing reform and the economic liberty. So I did that. And I was hired here mainly to do social media, digital media, um, email marketing, stuff like that, um, because that's my day job. But um, but they let me do whatever I want. So they're like, sure, if you want to go and do that, that's fine. Um, we had done a little bit in that space, but um, since I've gone, I, I've come here, we've like really expanded. Um, we do other stuff tangential to it, but a lot of it's just license, you know, uh, upfront licensing reform. Um, we meet with people in Congress and Senate about it all the time. Um, and I'm very lucky that our street lets me because I have no advanced degrees. I just have a bachelor's and I got really terrible grades because I didn't really care. Um, and all my learning has been outside the classroom. But um, our street's very good that, you know, they'll let me do whatever. If my if the quality of my work is good, they'll let me do it. And we focus on a bunch of different policies, basically everything except um, social policy, tax reform and health insurance reform. So anything that isn't that we touch, which includes flood insurance reform, climate change, stuff like that. Um, and we have a big area under commercial freedom that includes lots of things, including licensing reform. So Shoshana, maybe you could talk a little specifically about how licensing regimes actually work. In other words, you know, who creates occupational licensing regimes, sort of what government bodies or quasi-government bodies are responsible for them, and sort of what's the basis for occupational licensing in the first place? In other words, why can the government do that? So um, the, those are all really good questions. And actually, it varies by state and by legislator. So um, some licensing even has, uh, you know, roots in old Jim Crow laws. Others have been created over time as handouts to friends. And in, in other cases, it's just been something bad happens and the government thinks it can solve it, but it can't. And there is authority here. Like, it, it makes sense under the police powers um, that, you know, you want your doctor's license. With lawyers, even there's there's room for debate there. Um, but that, you know, the government has authority to make sure that like people aren't dying by having really crappy doctors. That's fine. But, um, when it gets to hair braiders, they'll claim health and safety, but it's a lie because, um, you know, for example, with cosmetologists, and I, I often go back to them just because there's a lot of different professions under cosmetology from hair braiders to manicurists and, uh, even blow dryers. Uh, you know, if you go to like dry bar to get a blowout and stuff, um, but they'll claim, oh, health and safety. And sure, there, there's concerns there. But um, I advocate a system that works more like a restaurant where, you know, they inspect it, they make sure everything's clean, and then the government's out of the business and you do whatever you need to do. Um, because most cooks aren't licensed. Like, you don't need a license to serve food, but you do to braid someone's hair because of health and safety. Like, that's kind of silly. Um, so there's it, the system's just really bad. And I'm not sure the entire origin of why it's happened in cosmetology this way and why it didn't in restaurants. Um, there, there's a lot of different factors that can play into this, usually that go under corruption, uh, misguided government, or, mm. um, or something else kind of random. Um, another thing we've seen popping up a lot is... Um, sex trafficking. So people want to uh, create licenses to prove that they're not se sex trafficking. But that doesn't really make any sense because you can still have sex trafficking under like a licensed cosmetologist 
group. Like that doesn't, those means ends don't fit. And I'm all for finding ways to stop it. But this isn't one of those. It has to be sensibly tailored. Um, my mom's a massage therapist and she also does Qigong, um, which is, it's a mix of a lot of things, but it's um, somewhere between martial arts and meditation. Um, and a couple of states are trying to license Qigong. But how can you license an ancient Chinese art that exists legitimately in like thousands of forms? It makes no sense. Um, and thankfully, this is one that the Qigong practitioners are against. They're like, no, this is stupid. Let's not get government involved. But um, but across the states, there's so many different kinds of licenses, some that kind of are on the line of health and safety where you could see it, but you're not really sure if it should be licensed. And fighting to to roll it back and at least not to increase new ones is always a huge battle. And it, it, it goes across so many different areas. It can relate to criminal justice reform, um, you know, just so many different things. And, uh, you know, you'll see crazy ones pop up if you track legislation. Like they wanted to license uh, uh, pecan farmers and sellers in Texas. And I'm like, please, no, do not do this. Like, it's so frustrating because it, it sounds silly and it's kind of funny. But this this is just another arbitrary power for government to hurt people for no real reason. And that really gets to me um, because I have my dream job. I get to do what I love every day. But what if government came in and said I needed a license to do it? You know, I would want someone fighting for me. So I want to fight for these people. Right. So so how does that work? I mean, when the government goes out and licenses or kind of creates a, a license requirement for for people to engage in a particular kind of job or, or I guess I should call it a profession, right? If it's if it's licensed, um when and why is it allowed to do that? And you know, what can outsiders do to stop a, a government entity from regulating people's ability to engage in a particular profession. So states have authority under it's it's basically under police power where you know local governments can make sure that uh, health and safety is accounted for. The national government doesn't really have authority here except in certain narrow cases um, because of limited powers. But I mean I don't know with Wickard v. Filburn like anything's fair game these days, so I'm surprised they haven't jumped in more. But um, but then they create these licensing boards that oversee everything. So any actions taken against people, inspections, stuff like that, that's all under boards. And the structure there even changes state by state. A lot of those are under the governor. Some of them are like quasi-private, quasi-government entities. It, it totally varies by state. Um, and it, it's always really frustrating to see when a new one pops up that isn't needed. Like if there was no problem, you know, maybe one guy had like a bad haircut or his pool didn't come out as pretty as he wanted, but like he's safe. You know, th there's there's uh, legal remedies for when bad stuff happens. But um, and, and there's also talk of getting the ins insurance involved more to take care of this kind of stuff. But um, it, a lot of it's just really arbitrary. I mean, in Arizona, um, cosmetologists were fighting deregulating hair blow dryers by saying it's dangerous to blow dry hair, which is a surprise to like every girl who does her hair and every guy who gets blowouts. <laughs> like this isn't dangerous. It's ridiculous. Um, so it, it's, it's kind of frustrating there, but the, the biggest thing people can do to push back, is just kind of keep an eye on what's moving in your state, write your legislator, yell at them on Twitter. If they're doing something dumb, 
Um, that's something I'll do a lot when there's like a really dumb license, like the Qigong one. I'm like, you have to be kidding me. Like I'm losing my mind. So yell at your legislator, but also thank them when they're trying to do the good stuff, when they're trying to make those reforms, um, thank them and praise them because it's easy to yell at people, but we forget that you have to use the carrot and the stick. So mm. I'll often praise people like again, governor Ducey in Arizona is the greatest human being alive. And he's just like, I want to do good stuff and stop dumb stuff from happening. So he's easily like my favorite governor. Um, and other people are trying to catch up, but he's really, really fantastic that way. So praise him and then yell at bad legislators. <laughs> <laughs> so you've looked at a lot of different uh, licensing regimes in a lot of different places. And I wonder if you could reflect, like, based on the work that you've done, you know, why do you think that occupational licensing happens or gets created and gets created in ways that are maybe unproductive or, um, or kind of not public focused in some places and maybe not in others or in some areas and not in others. I mean, you, you mentioned that, for example, like typically chefs aren't licensed, but frequently people in the cosmetology field are. Why do you think that is? Uh, lobbyists. And, you know, I'm fine with lobbyists if they're doing good stuff, but these ones are not. Um, in, in Louisiana, the reason that you still have the florist license to this day, it's been rolled back a little, but not as much as it should be. Um, there's a really strong florist lobby there. That's weird to say, but it's absolutely true. Um, cosmetology lobbies in a lot of states are really powerful and have a lot of influence. They all have schools that they want people to have to go to in order to get a license. So there are all these kind of like rent-seeking regimes. Um, and it's also why it, it's hard to get rid of a license in one state, but not another. It depends how strong the lobby is. Um, and also, so I, I would say these days it's split um, mostly between that and um, it's split mostly between that and, um, gosh, uh, and government being told it needs to do something like, oh, well, if we don't do this, this bad thing will happen. Um, and it's like, oh, not not necessarily, um, you know, uh, especially with like the sex trafficking stuff. That's an example where I think legislators mean it, but they're just misguided. Mm, mm. And and and. Why is that? Do you think? I mean, is it is it is it that particular areas of work are more susceptible to lobbyists and licensing regimes being created, or is it like a historical thing where if you know something was created in the past, it's just really hard to get to get rid of it? I mean, when do you see new regimes being Definitely. created? So it's definitely hard to undo the the past stuff. That that's just a function of government. I think um, it can happen, but it's hard. Um, and then the new stuff is is usually those cases where lobbyists are like, "Oh, hey, lots of states have this license. We want one too." Even if there's no data to show that this state is less safe than others, or you know that bad things are happening more here than other places. They that's the other thing a lot of people don't realize. There's no data to back this up. It's just like. It, it happens and people just kind of roll with it. It's not as though um, there's there's actual data to, to, to prove this stuff. Usually um, reformers have to roll out their own data to be like, hey, this shows you don't know what you're doing and your, your facts are wrong. Um, and a lot of the times uh, the reason the new stuff gets created is if, if there, there will be kind of like licensing sweeps of the whole country, like Connecticut I think has been the only state not to license manicurists. So now they want to do it to stop sex trafficking, which makes zero sense. But um, especially because other states are having that problem and like that this isn't going to solve it. 
Um, but you'll see that just lots of people are like, oh, well, every state has this license. We should too. Almost in a childlike way, they oftentimes they do mean well there. Um, even if the lobbyists don't, the politicians really think, oh, well, if they have it, we should too. We shouldn't be less safe than them. Um, so there's a lot of different influences there, but it, it's kind of um, the, the lobbies end up getting in the way a lot of times. And th- there are some really good lobbies where they're like, hey, we don't want to um, we don't want to hurt people. We want to make sure that they can work, but we're also concerned about health and safety. But a lot of times it, it's false concerns. It's one bad thing happening and then thinking, oh, well, we need a huge government intervention there. And, you know, people also forget there's a lot lower levels. Like instead of doing a whole licensing thing, health inspections are always an option. Um private certification, or even these bills that are popping up that I love that say, hey, um, as long as you're like not a doctor or something like that, if someone wants to take your your uh, your work and you don't have a license, all they need to do is sign a waiver. So I'm, I'm all for stuff like that as well. Um, but also there's no data that shows that like increasing licensing increases health and safety. It just increases prices and reduces employment. Um, which is also frustrating. So people forget that it's not like you license it and it's a little harder, but everyone gets in. Uh, a lot of poorer people can't get in because those licenses are expensive. Um, so there's so many sides to this that, you know, the the licensing happens because of these large sweeps or in industry or one bad thing happening or even the idea of one bad thing happening. But um, people often forget about all the harm it creates. Mm-hmm. So what about what about reform i mean it it sounds like at least some of the reform that you've been talking about is kind of talking to to governors talking to legislators about how licensing reform like how occupational licensing could be eliminated or or changed in certain areas are there other ways of pursuing reform and and what do you think reform should ultimately look like like ideally definitely well my ideal reform is that or let me start by talking about a couple of different kinds so there's getting rid of licenses or reducing licenses so that they're just focused on health and safety which i'm all for i think that that's a reasonable way to do things um, usually I, I err against licensing, even with cosmetologists, you know, I use box dye at home and I know how to do it safely. So if someone works around, you know, does an apprenticeship or even just researches enough and then tests it out, th- there's a lot of ways to become a legitimate cosmetologist. And this is true of a lot of industries. Um, sometimes kids work under their parents and they might not have a license, but they have a lot of experience. Um, so usually I, I try to err against licensing unless there's just a really, really good health and safety reason and government can solve the problem. So again, doctors, I think that's reasonable and nurses as well. Um, and even, uh, professions, uh, under that as well. Um, or private certifications, uh, other kinds of stuff like that. Um, but another really big problem is mobility because licenses don't transfer from state to state. So if you move, you have to get a new license and what that looks like varies by state. So Governor Ducey, um, the greatest, just recently signed a bill and I was there for it and like having all the feels. And it basically allows anyone to come to the state. They just have to pay the fees. And then as long as they were in good standing and had the license, they're good to transfer. That's huge for military spouses who are moving all the time. And, you know, they're moving with their spouse. They can't choose that. The government's choosing it for them because they serve our country. But then they can't work when they move to a new place if their profession is licensed. So a bill like this in every state would be huge for mobility. It would enable people to move to their state without problem, which every state should want. 
um, and it would help military spouses. So the mobility side is one. Um, there's also a lot of legislation that's exactly like this, but it only focus on, it focuses on military spouses. And sometimes the requirements are a little bit different, but I think that's fantastic as well. Um, and then there's getting rid of licenses, reducing the qualifications um, and, and the burden to get the license and stuff like that. So, um, so that's kind of the menu. And I think every state should have what Governor Ducey signed. Like I want that in every single state. And then I want them to get rid of licenses where they don't need one. So speech-based licenses like tour guides, I'm not kidding. You have to be a licensed tour guide in certain states because of the danger of wrong information because it's not like we have the internet or anything to give us that instead. Um, nutritionists are another one. Um, you know, I, I'm all for private certifications, but diet advice and knowledge comes from all different ways. I have a million diseases and allergies and sensitivities, and Google has really helped me figure stuff out. I just look up my symptoms. And it's not always perfect, but I've started to learn a little bit more about um, how my body works. And I think everyone should be allowed to give that advice and be paid for it. Um, licensing nutritionists, you know, would mean that, you know, what moms do to, for their kids, give them advice, right or wrong, um, you know, that they they wouldn't be allowed to do that if the kid paid them for it, which obviously wouldn't happen. But it's silly if, if when money creates the reason something is bad, oh, well, they're paid for that. So that's bad. That, that's not really about health or safety then. And even licensed nutritionists give out bad information sometimes. And it's okay because we're still learning about this as, you know, as a country and a world. Like, um, you know, the food pyramid was super wrong and the government was allowed to go do that forever. So um, basically, government's a really bad authority on nutrition generally. Um, and I think that, you know, people should be allowed to and anything speech-based should be fine. And when there's touching involved, as long as it's safe and as long as, you know, there's there's ways to um, stop bad behavior. So if sexual assault were to occur, you know, there there's other ways to handle that and to make sure that that person doesn't engage in a profession like that. Um, so even with certifications, that's, you know, that that's one way to handle it. But government can't stop all evil. And sometimes it creates bad stuff like people not having jobs. Um, you have to think about how few people um, are bad actors and how bad they are compared to all the people who can't afford all the schooling who already know this stuff and would still have to go back to school. Um, so uh, there have been a lot of studies, including by Brookings, that talked about all the economic activity lost. And it's really heartbreaking. That plus, you know, the struggle put on military families. It's like they're serving our country. Maybe we shouldn't be terrible to them when we tell them to move. So mm -hmm. th there's a lot of different ways, but I think mobility and reducing burdens are just super, super important. So if I were a person who, you know, wanted to be, say, a renegade tour guide or florist or cosmetologist, you know, and I, I didn't have a license, but I wanted to do that work anyway, are there ways that I could object to the licensing regime other than like politically, like complain to my representative? Like, could I bring a lawsuit or something? And, and if so, what would I have to show in order to prove to the government that I ought to be able to do the work that I want to do? So you know me way too well. You know how much I hate this stuff. <laughs> um, so obviously, there's a way through government and lobbying and talking to people. 
Um, but then the other way is lawsuits like the Institute for Justice and Pacific Legal and the ACLU do. Um, what makes me so angry is that we in America, our unenumerated tri- rights are treated like second class rights, which is crap because the Ninth Amendment means what it says. And it says we have rights that aren't written down and they're not disparaged just because they're not written down. But the courts for years have been like, oh, so you mean we don't really have these rights and we don't really have to protect them. And we're like, no, that's that's not what that means. It's the opposite. You should go back and read it again. So basically, um, because economic liberty, the, the right to do this kind of stuff is an unenumerated right, unless it's a First Amendment thing, which is a, a different case. Sometimes it depends. But um, assuming we're going with the right to make an honest living, um, that'll be an unenumerated right. And courts will look at it and make you prove that your rights aren't being violated. So you have to prove a negative, which is just not logical or possible. Um, and unless you have a really good judge who respects rights, and really, really cares about it, they'll be like, oh, well, I don't know, like, you know, what if? And they they end up lying for the government. Like in the the floristry case, um, the government lawyers were were like, oh, well, the dangers of unlicensed floristry. You know, what if um, you have infected dirt? Infected with what? I don't know. Dirt is dirt. Like it's bad. It's gross. But um, they, they, that was their argument. And it passed because as long as you can make up a what if, you know, you're, you're home free as government. Um, Clark Neely in his book had this really great line. And I think this is the best way to explain it to people not familiar with this area of law. Um, a teenage daughter comes home and really late. And the dad's like, you missed curfew. And she's like, oh yeah, I was out drinking. And he's like, no, no. What were you doing? She's like, um, I was visiting grandma, right? You were visiting grandma. Um, and you, the, the government basically coaxes you to lie. It's true. And it's so messed up. Like our rights are just like, oh, as long as government can think up a compelling lie, like not the real reason they licensed it. Like, oh, we licensed this because this, no, it's, we might have licensed this because of this reason possibly. So as long as you can think up a hypothetical, uh, the license stays. So a lot of these lawsuits fail, not because the lawyers aren't good, but because the judges suck. Um, and I give, it's funny. Um, I, I get a lot of crap for loving the Federalist Society, but I disagree with lots of people in there. I love the honest debate, but um, I'm like, guys, judicial restraint, like it sounds nice, kind of, but, um, but restraint can often mean abdication and even activism. And to me, this is real judicial activism, going around the constitution and state constitutions to justify whatever government does because government, which is crap. Um, so it's, it's infuriating and learning about this stuff will make your blood boil. The, the, the justifications that pass and they're all like insane. What ifs not based in evidence, but it gets through because, Oh, Hey, unenumerated rights. Those, those don't exist. They're not written down. Meanwhile, James Madison is in his grave face palming like you idiots. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it 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 does seem really, really frustrating that you know y- there's no real way for individuals to object to this kind of restriction on what they're allowed to do, kind of in an individual fashion. Because uh, because as you say, I mean, you know, you can bring a lawsuit, but it's it's like you know. It, you can't really win at least you can't win unless you get a judge who's willing to sort of buck what the traditional interpretation of the sort of authority or discretion of the government is to regulate in these areas. Is that right? Oh, you're absolutely right. So unless you have a judge will it, I always want to call him justice. I'm so proud. He's a judge now, 
But he had this really great case um, on eyebrow threading, which was another dumb license. And his was just the most beautiful. It was when I found out he was a judicial engagement proponent. And that's the thing that I love that Randy Barnett loves that Clark Neely loves. And when I found out, I messaged him. I'm like, oh, my gosh, you're you're for judicial engagement. I'm so happy. Um, and it made my day because that means that he's a judge who will really protect rights. And that just means so much to me. Um, so I, I joke about being a giant nerd. And I am for sure. But um, but that stuff really matters to people, because if you don't have a government to protect your rights, then it can just trample on it and the legislature can do whatever and the executive branch can do whatever. Um, and the chances of you getting a judge who will actually look at the facts of the case and the facts, not the stuff that the government makes up, it, it's just so slim. So unless you get someone like him or um, there's a judge in Wisconsin I really love, um, I got to meet her and I was fangirling. I'm like, oh my gosh, you cite Randy Barnett all the time. And it made me so happy. But um, it, it's really sad that this is a problem. I remember learning about this and I, I had to like think through it a few times. Like, wait, the Ninth Amendment says this, but we're just like, oh, I don't know. Like, And um, for those who, who are federalism proponents, um, the 14th Amendment's um, privileges or immunities clause is basically the same thing. Um, and if you go back, there's lots of essays on how privileges or immunities basically just means unenumerated rights. Um, so so there, there's stuff covering the state there. But um, it's funny that everyone hates on Lochner. Well, the judges actually did their job. They're like, oh, you guys are just making stuff up to protect your industry. That's not cool. Um, and meanwhile, today, they're just encouraged to lie and lying wins. Um, so if you're an unlicensed person who wants to do an honest job, like you either have to move, uh, move to a state that doesn't license it, um, you have to or practice and have the risk of getting fined and caught and going through problems. I mean, in Florida, uh, their nutritionist board does sting operations, which I'm not even like, I'm not even joking, like they'll like try to uh, have a guy like ask you for advice and then be like, Oh, JK, I'm a cop. Really? Is that a good use of time? You know, like, holy crap. Um, I, I learn about these things all the time and I'm just like, I can't believe government is doing this. Mm, mm. Well, so this is something that's been happening for a really long time now, right? I mean, yeah. it, you know, it, 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 the courts have sort of abdicated any meaningful role in limiting uh, the regulation or sort of governmental delegation of regulation of various kinds of economic activity for, you know, al almost a hundred years now. D do you see this changing? I mean, it seems like there's an increasing sort of interest and concern and, and conversation in, in this area. Do, do you see reform efforts having an effect? Oh, absolutely. So there's definitely real wins on the state level, um, just as far as, you know, the legislature and executives go. Um, and uh, hopefully in the next couple of years, we'll be able to clone Doug Ducey and then make him the governor of every state. Um, that'll do a lot of good. Um, and then on the court side, you have guys like Judge Willett, and he's making a really big impact. I'm glad he was on Twitter for a while, and he might be back, but um, even if he's not now, I'm glad he has a big name and he's promoting ideas that I think are correct. Gorsuch, too, is another really baller guy. Like, if during the hearings, I was flipping out. I, like, literally screamed at my desk because Ben Sass loves the Ninth Amendment. Like, he's all with this stuff. Um, but during Gorsuch's hearings, he asked him, sir, uh, what do you think the Ninth Amendment means? And Gorsuch replied, 
Well, I think it means what it says, which is the title of Barnett's paper on the Ninth Amendment. And I like lost it. I'm like, guys, this is it. And everyone's like, no, you're just this is a conspiracy. You're you're being ridiculous. But since then, he has name checked licensing reform in his opinions. Um, his Demaya concurrence is a really good one to read. Gorsuch is a guy who gets it. Um, even Scalia and Thomas aren't really this way enough. Gorsuch, I hope, is the next generation of right of center judging. I don't even like to say right of center because the the policy answers can be left of center or middle or whatever. It doesn't really necessitate an answer, just an approach to judging. Um, I mean, I'm pro-life, but I'm very against federal anti-abortion laws because I don't think that there's any authority. And when when senators are like, oh, but the Commerce Clause, I'm like, are you really wickerding this, bro? Like, don't even. Um, so that always gets me. But there, there's judges moving this way, and the Federalist Society is is to thank for this. I don't even know what the leaders think, where they lean. But um, but to have people like Willett on the court, to have people like Gorsuch on, on the Supreme Court, um, and a couple of others too. Um, it's it's really heartening. There's a there's a real movement here, thanks to the scholarship of guys like Barnett and Roger Pilon and so many others. Um, and I think they a lot of people are just convinced. Yeah, the Ninth Amendment does mean what it says, and there's real protection for unenumerated rights on the federal and state level. So I'm very thankful for that, um, and I'm thankful for their work. It's like I get to meet meet my personal Shakespeare's of the day, um, which is probably one of the nerdiest things I'll ever say, but it's true. Um, but I, I'm really thankful for it, and I think that this is going to keep increasing. I hope at least I'm an optimist, but it, it's it's really looking good with the um with the way things are moving um and the the judges that are moving up. So Shoshana, in in closing, I wonder if you could say a little something about what your next target of occupational licensing reform is and and why. Like what what regime is next up on your agenda? That's a really good question. And actually, um, I'm working on a bunch of stuff, actually some federal stuff and some state stuff. Um, I would love, again, cloning Ducey and cloning that legislation because it was really good. Um, we'll, we'll just get them all cloned together. But um, one thing that I've been really into is food labeling reform because it's not quite licensing, but it's sort of up the same alley, same kind of logic gets to it where um, you can't call almond milk milk because people will be confused even though it says almond milk and it's been around for centuries. Veggie burgers, uh, cauliflower rice, the rice industry is super mad that cauliflower rice exists, but they also sell rice milk and they're cool with that. No one's going to be confused by that. It's just the thing that that uh, takes away their market share they're concerned about. Um, so I just kind of want to expand this, do more here. Um, there's a lot I'm working on, honestly, because I'm really bad at resting. But um, but I'm hoping that the things I'm working on will go well from this stuff to more military spouse licensing reform. And I'm hoping people will be freer because of it. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for talking to me, Shoshana. It's my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on. Architect Dolores Gould, what's your IQ? 138. And your EQ? EQ. Your economics quotient? Oh, I don't know much about economics. Attorney Ed Denton, how high is your economics quotient, Ed? Economics? I never really had time to get into it. Lots of people, even people you'd ordinarily consider smart, have EQs that could stand improvement. How about yours? Do you know what makes the American economic system work? It's important that you do. 
You see, we all have to make decisions about our economic system. And the more you know about it, the more you'll be able to make it work for you. What can you do to improve your EQ and learn more about economics? The place to start is your local library. It's full of interesting information on the American economic system and your part in it. The American economic system. We should all learn more about it. A public service message of the Advertising Council and U.S. Department of Commerce, presented by this station.